Greetings and welcome to A Voice for the Voiceless, a podcast about endangered species. I'm your host, Jenny Sisler, coming to you um, from beautiful and slightly warm Sunderland, Massachusetts at 8.43 p.m. on Tuesday, November 1st, 2022, also known as the Day of the Dead. I hope you all had a wonderful week last week. Everything is going well here, although my brain has been bent in half by this week's schedule because our football game this weekend is going to be Friday night. Um, It's University of Massachusetts versus University of Connecticut in Connecticut, and the game is at 7 o'clock Friday night. So that has thrown my husband's schedule ahead by a day. So today was actually like a Wednesday for him. Tomorrow will be like a Thursday. And Thursday will be like Friday and they'll actually leave to go down to Connecticut Friday afternoon. So my brain has been bent in half. And that's part of the reason I didn't record last night. Because I could just not get my tongue and my brain to be connected. And I tried to record and I listened to myself and I was like, my listeners are never going to listen again if I post this podcast because I just couldn't get my act together. But I am here now. And tonight I wanted to discuss with you an insect that is very near and dear to my heart for probably one of the most nerdy of all possible reasons. And the insect in question is the monarch butterfly. And the nerdy reason is because one of my first ever research projects was one that I did in elementary school about the life cycle of the monarch butterfly. And it was, it stands out in my mind, it was either fourth or fifth grade, I want to say it was fifth grade. Uh, But it stands out in my mind because it was one of the very few, if not the only time, I was ever allowed to desecrate a National Geographic magazine by cutting it apart for photographs. Uh, My parents, you know, they collected the National Geographic magazines. Um, They kept them in the slipcovers by year on on the bookshelf in our den. And it was a very valuable resource of research resource for both me and my sister all the way through school on a lot of different topics and I don't think I was ever allowed to cut one up after that if I was I don't remember what it was about or why I did it but um and you know to be honest I still use the National Geographic for uh research for this podcast research for my blog But the only difference is it's 2022 and I use an app now. Um, I have the app on my phone and I'm constantly, you know, emailing links to myself so that I can go back and use the uh, articles for research. Um, I don't think I've... Yeah, I haven't subscribed to the actual physical copy of the magazine in about 15 years. Um... I just don't have the space here in this tiny little apartment. I'm already overrun with books. I I could never buy another book again for the rest of my life and be fine. So I would definitely not have any space for, uh, for saving any National Geographic. So I just use the app on my phone and I have a subscription that way. But I do still use it a lot. But it just, that memory does stand out to me. 
And I remember I, did, I got a good grade on the report. My mother helped me with it. So, yeah, it's probably pretty nerdy and in a nostalgic sort of way to say that that's why I love monarch butterflies, but it's true. And actually, there are quite a few of them around here where I live. Um, I was actually over the summer, I was walking up Route 47 on the side of the road by the farms, and it broke my heart to find a dead one. It would have broken my heart to find a dead one anyway, but this was literally like three weeks after I had read that the IUCN had put the monarch butterfly on the endangered species list. So I was just standing on the side of the road almost in tears, and I'm sure people driving past were like, what the hell is wrong with that woman? But, you know, yes, I cry over dead butterflies, and I'm not ashamed of it either. So, the monarch butterfly is tonight's subject, and it's the most iconic butterfly in America. Um, and they overwinter in both California and Mexico. Uh, in Mexico, they are, they are considered the souls of people's dead loved ones. I think that is a common belief about butterflies in general, that they carry the souls of the dead with them. Uh, but in Mexico, that belief is particularly strong for two reasons. First of all, because their migratory season starts around this time of year, they start showing up in Mexico around the Day of the Dead. So it's almost like the dead have returned to their loved ones. And also because the monarch butterfly is bright orange, which is the same color as a common funeral flower that is, you know, used in funeral rites and left at gravesides in all across Mexico. So that strengthens the people's belief that these butterflies actually are their loved ones returning to them, which I think is a very, very beautiful sentiment. Um, and so they were declared endangered by the IUCN, which is, of course, the international body, on July 21st, 2022. Uh, the monarch butterfly has long been considered a threatened species, but this was the first time it was ever listed as an endangered one. Now, sadly, the IUCN list doesn't do anything to affect policy here in the United States. Um, as because we haven't listed it under our Endangered Species Act yet. And the reason is really kind of sad. But in 2020, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, it came out and said, well, yes, the monarch butterfly does meet the listing criteria under the Endangered Species Act, but Fish and Wildlife was not going to list it at that time because... Basically, there were nine other uh, animals that they thought had a higher priority because they were closer to extinction than the monarch was. So the monarch was considered a potential candidate for future listing, but as of 2020, it hadn't been yet. And if it had been then, it, there, of course, would have been the Endangered Species Act to protect the butterfly and to force a state and federal government agencies to protect it. 
So it's kind of sad. And I mean, I suppose that's the real sticky wicket about trying to decide what animals need to be put on our Endangered Species Act emergency list. Because at the end of the day, it's humans making judgment calls and we can't protect every single creature all the time. So monarch butterflies kind of got short shrift in 2020. Um, but at the same time, there was a statistic I read that said only 1% of all the insect species in the world have ever been assessed by the IUCN. So having the monarch butterfly be one of them is significant because it draws public attention to the need to protect these butterflies and insects in general. So, um, you know, it is a good thing. It doesn't directly affect policy, but it is a good thing because people will talk about it. People will say, did you know that the monarch butterfly is considered endangered? Oh, no, why is that? You know, and then it'll get discussions going. So that is important. Um, but still kind of sad. And I mean, you know, other animals need help too. And if there's one that's in absolute critical danger, of course that should come first. But it's, it still strikes me as a little sad. Um, as of March of 2020, monarch butterfly populations in Mexico decreased by 53% from the previous year. But where it has really been noticed is the California population. At the same time, March 2020, it was determined that the California population that overwinters there had decreased by 99% to a historic low of only 30,000 30, butterflies. And what the, the sole cause of their near extinction is that they feed exclusively on milkweed and it's been systemically eradicated around the Midwest because it's considered a pest plant. And the widespread use of herbicides like glycophosphates and neonicotinoids have drastically affected the insect world. And not just, not just butterflies and not just the monarch specifically, but bees. Bees are another victim of these poisons. And, of course, we all know we can't live without bees. But uh, glycophosphates, I'm sure you've heard of. If you've, if you've ever watched a hot second's worth of TV in the last 15 years in America, all you've seen are those commercials for the uh, class action lawsuits regarding Roundup weed killer uh, because it has the potential to give you some really nasty and quite possibly terminal cancers. So a lot of people who have worked in commercial landscaping and in nurseries have gotten real sick from glycophosphates. Well, guys, if they can kill us with cancer, what the heck do we think they're doing to insect populations? So um, they're just flat out poisons. But neonicotinoids, I believe, were developed, and I'm not, I couldn't specifically find an answer to this question, but I think... What happened was neonicotinoids were developed in the wake of things like glycophosphates being very toxic to humans because neonicotinoids pose no threat to humans whatsoever. It's not poison to us. 
and it's not poisonous to mammals. So it's perfectly okay to use these in your backyard. You're not going to kill Fluffy or Fido, and you're not going to get sick from them. But the problem is, is that what they do is they are extremely toxic to insects uh, because they completely change the plants, in this case milkweed, at a systemic level. Every single part of the plant becomes poisonous. And although these are not used to exterminate insects, they're used to kill the plant, but it kills the plant by turning it completely toxic. And it's so poisonous that even the pollen is poison. And so, of course, these unsuspecting insects, you know, they're going to feed on the milkweed. Uh, caterpillars will, just like other, uh, when I discussed the atlas moth, it's not that a monarch butterfly caterpillars doesn't have mouth parts after it turns into a butterfly it does feed but of course to go through five instars before it's ready to pupate it's going to have to eat a lot so it's eating this milkweed that has been changed at the cellular level and if the poison does not right kill the caterpillar it can make it difficult for the butterfly to reproduce in much the same way a lot of poisons you know that we have learned about over the course of the past 20 or 30 years are poisonous to humans because they have a negative effect on our reproductive systems it's the same thing with a monarch butterfly caterpillar these neonicotinoids basically if they don't kill the insects outright well they mess around with their ability to reproduce and if you all of a sudden have a population fall off because the insects can't reproduce, then you, it will lead to extinction. So the simplest solution to protect these beautiful butterflies, I mean, I don't see how anyone couldn't think that a monarch butterfly is just absolutely gorgeous. The easiest way to ensure their safety is to know what plants have been treated with that you're getting at the nursery. Just flat out ask someone, especially if you buy from a commercial nursery like a Lowe's or a Home Depot or, you know, places that don't necessarily have organic uh, nursery practices. Just make sure that you ask, have you used neonicotinoids in your in your herbicides and if they have don't buy them you know maybe it's better to buy from organic nurseries where you know that something that you're not going to be taking something home and transplanting it in your garden that's going to harm insects and the most important thing we can do until um until the united states actually lists monarch butterflies is endangered under our endangered species act which i'm hoping now that the iucn put them on the red list i'm hoping that in the next year or two 
we'll pull our heads out of our butts and say, hey, we need to protect these creatures. If it was enough for an international organization to say they're endangered, maybe we should start listening and take care of them. But the best thing we can do is educate people about monarch butterflies and why it's so important to stop the use of neonicotinoids. Um, and if we can get the word out, somebody's eventually got to listen, right? I mean, at least I hope so. But that is where I'm going to leave this episode for tonight. Um, I hope that uh, you will go online. And there are so many videos on YouTube. Just look up Monarch Butterfly Chrysalis. I suppose I should say before I sign off that the it's absolutely the most creepily fascinating process to watch. And if you can find a video in real time, it's actually even more fascinating to watch than the time-lapse photography, the time-lapse videos. But basically, I don't even know exactly how to explain it. But when a caterpillar, when a monarch butterfly caterpillar is ready to go into its chrysalis, it's not like it spins it around itself. Like, say, if it was a cocoon from a silk silkworm that was going to become a silk moth, you know, with a monarch butterfly, it actually, the chrysalis is like part of its insides. And it basically splits itself in half and the chrysalis emerges from inside the caterpillar and then what's left of the innards of the caterpillar are dissolved and the molecules are rearranged inside the chrysalis to form the butterfly. It's the creepiest thing, but you, you really need to check it out because it's absolutely fascinating in a way. But um, So I'm going to sign off for now. And of course, I'm going to remind you that you too can be a grace to the graceless. And I hope you find this episode informative. And I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening.